So do the markets believe the Fed when they're talking about pushing rates even higher well into next year? Today we'll look at just how different the market view is as the indicators suggest employment is still strong and ignoring housing, the US economy is sort of doing okay and jobs numbers are taking a long time to fall in Australia as well where unemployment actually fell yesterday and Europe continues to be a world of worry. Gas prices reached a new record. Oil also creeping back up now. A bad day for the euro today. It's Friday the 19th of August 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has gained 0.8% on the DXY with the euro and the pound both down 0.9%, the yen down 0.6%. The Aussie dollar is doing better than most, actually. It's down, but only 0.2% at 69.2 US cents. Oil is up a fair bit. Brent is up 3% at 96.60. WTI is up 2.8%. A mixed day on US equities with the NASDAQ reclaiming about 0.2% of the ground it's been losing lately. That was at close. The S&P 500 up a quarter percent. The Dow looking pretty flat. Energy stocks doing well, banks less so, basically. Uh, bond markets have been fairly lacklustre. Ten-year treasuries are down two basis points. German bunds are up two basis points. And ten-year gilt yields are also up by two basis points in the UK. Pretty much the same across most of Europe, whereas Aussie ten-years closed up six basis points yesterday at 3.33%. New Zealand up 12 to 3.49%. And on futures overnight, Aussie ten-years, well, not moving that much, but about one basis point higher. Ken Crompton joins me today from NAB in Melbourne. Now, look, I said uh, 10-year Treasury yields hadn't moved much, but, you know, the movement really is uh, at the front end, isn't it, in the two-year, which uh, are down about six basis points this morning. So how much of this is the markets still interpreting those Fed minutes this week as being fairly dovish or certainly less hawkish than many uh, were expecting? Are they still trying to figure that one out? I think that's pretty fair. It certainly has been a bit of a a bit of a return to looking for the the dovish side of, of Fed movements more than anything else. And there was a, a bit a bit of a roster of Fed speakers out overnight who did, for the most part, attempt to you know sort of offer um, you know, warnings that the Fed was still was still going to be quite aggressive. I think you know Jim Bullard in particular. Um, you know Mary Daly's message was arguably a, a little bit softer. She was talking about. Uh, the Fed funds rate being a bit above three percent by by the end of the year, and um, that's actually well below expectations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Bullard four percent by the end of the year, seventy five basis point rise in September. You're saying he, he's in favour of. So uh, yeah, and and the market's sort of still got pricing sitting around a little bit over sixty basis points for for the for the move in September, and then um, yeah, in a, in a path pretty close to the dots, um, sort of through most of the early part of next year. To be fair, I mean, where there is a big divergence, and probably the the area that the Fed is probably most keen to to work on to the extent that it does want to see market pricing match something a bit closer to its um, general expectations is is those uh, big rate cuts that are priced in, you know, for the. For, for sort of beyond Q2 next year, that probably still sticks out to the Fed as um, as being something that's undesirable to see in the to see in the pricing profile. Right. And why is um, that? Is that, that that is not because they think they're going to have solved it all? That that has to be because they're expecting some sort of Fed put put to happen, isn't it? You know that they they're going to go either it's not worked or that or there's been such such an impact that they've had to reverse their course. Is I mean, is that what people are thinking? I think in general terms, yes. Uh, there is a. A lot of analysis out there pointing out that the average time between the Fed hitting a peak and beginning to cut is um, is somewhere in the region of seven to nine months. Now, in this case, the market's mm. arguably pricing a, a much sharper turnaround than that, but um, yeah, market pricing can't be overly nuanced in that sense. But that that's certainly the feeling that the that the market is beginning to, to run with. I mean, we would caution, I mean, based on some work one of my colleagues in New Zealand has been doing that you know, in circumstances where you're sort of 
uh, hiking into much higher inflation than we've seen in uh, in, in, in most recent cycles, and that uh, that pause at the top can be a bit longer. And as well as that, um, you know, there is a lot of a lot of sort of a great deal of uncertainty out there beyond the US as well. I mean, you know, we're probably going to touch on um, you know, sort of the, the dire outlook for, for Europe and the UK, and I guess that's sort of weighing on um, you know market sentiment mm-hmm. as well. You know, how how long can the Fed um, you know sustain a, a cash rate dramatically higher than the, the than the rest of the world? So there's a bit of convergence in, yeah. in the price there too. But and and normally, I mean, yields are, are going before the Fed, aren't they? You know, they're coming. Down, so ten, we'd expect ten years to fall before the Fed actually drops rates. I mean, if you look, if you look at the, you know, the the chart for the last however long, I mean, it's unusual for the Fed to drop rates and then yields to follow. It's normally the other way around. Yeah, that's certainly true. The, the market certainly does tend to have a, a little bit of a better read. Um, in that sense, um, I mean, what we're sort of talking about when we're c- talking to clients about the ten-year bond yield, though, is, is you know, is cautioning that the ten-year yield tends to peak relatively late in the cycle. So, with our view mm. that the Fed is not going to be, um, you know, beginning to cut by early de- in, in early next year, that should mean that the you know, cycle is going to be longer. The peak in ten-year yields could well be later. So, we're still still of an open mind that you're going to see ten-year. Yields, um, yeah, sort of up towards at least three point two five percent, if if not, um, yeah, if not setting um, highs above that three point five, they saw in June at some point later in the year, as we get a little bit later into the cycle, and the market realises that the Fed probably isn't going to be cutting. So there's still certainly some upside, and there's still got left there. Yeah, so they've still got a lot to do, of course, as well. If you look at those, uh, particularly in the, you know, when it comes to trying to uh, slow down employment, so that so the jobs market, the weekly numbers that we saw, the uh, the jobless claims for the for the US last night. Uh, continuing claims rose slightly, but look, you know, from from 1.43 million to 1.437 million, so an extra uh, 7,000 people claiming benefits. So that's a bit of a slowdown. But if you look at the four-week average, it's actually falling. So the labour market is pretty resilient. But then the Philly Fed, uh, the employment numbers in the manufacturing index overnight actually improved quite a bit, didn't it? From 19.4 last time to 24.1. 28% of firms reported higher employment. Only 4% reported lower employment. That is not what the Fed wants to see. You're certainly much sunnier in Philadelphia than it is in New York based on the Empire State Survey that we got well, last week. So, Yeah, I mean, you'd um, have to worry about that, I think you, as to the accuracy of the New York one. Because the, the Philly Fed one, I mean, overall, the read was up 17 points. I mean, they're not geographically that far apart. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a quite a bit of variability in these in these regional Fed surveys, as we often talk about. Certainly not too much in, in any of the detail across the Philly Fed survey that you'd say would be... Um, would be overly concerning at um, you know at any point, and I guess you need to say over the cycle how these things um, how these things will pan out. Um, I guess you know probably the most concerning aspects of the Empire State Survey were when when new orders and those yeah. forward indicators. Those were much better in the in, in the Philly Fed Survey, but also the you know the caution for um, the Fed, as you as you said, was going to be strength in, in in employment. I guess coming off the back of um, you know very strong um, payrolls print. For for last month, that that's not going to be of, of huge comfort, mm. and the um, in weekly jobless claims also seem to be stabilising a little bit of a drop last week. Um, some of the recent increase has been put down to difficulties with seasonal adjustment, which is which is a big problem sort of through the July August period, just with um, auto industry retooling, just big swings they can have in in their labour force requirements there. So if we're pushing through that and claims are coming down, that's also another sort of 
positive for the labour market, but uh, but a concerning sign for the Fed as well. So, uh, what's your theory on why oil is uh, is creeping back up? Is it because there's more demand expected? I mean, we didn't mention it yesterday, but uh, crude oil, oil inventories in the US fell by 7.1 million barrels last week. Uh, but I'm also wondering whether there's a bit of substitution expected as well, because gas prices are now the highest in the EU that they've ever been. Dutch futures up over 241 euros. Back in June, they were 85. I mean, this is a threefold increase. I mean, it's staggering, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess we're for the for the gas market in Europe in particular. I guess is where you know, but still, um, still talk of, of of heat waves and summer there at the moment. But everyone is looking forward with with trepidation to the, to the winter period and mm. the inability to build up reserves just due to the um, sort of continued trickle of gas that uh, that Russia is allowing in. So, so keeping um, keep, keeping European gas supplies on a bit of a bit of a tightrope there. So, yeah, I mean the oil. Story. I mean, it, oil has come down quite a long way, so seeing a bit of a bit of a rebound just in terms of a, a little mm. bit of a re- return to the mean sense isn't um, is, isn't too surprising. Um, I, I don't have any strong strong views. I must admit on what might have been causing the the immediate. But the, immediate but the there. weakness in the euro presumably is all down to the fact that yes, you know, <laughs> we're, we're seeing gas going up quite so quite so markedly, and uh, I guess it is the US versus the versus the Europe story, isn't it? You know, you're safer buying buying the US dollar because uh, Europe's not going anywhere in a hurry. Yeah, um, and you know there was some comments last night from um, you know, Isabel Schnabel from the ECB just sort of cautioning again on on the inflation outlook in Europe, and 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 the market sort of took that as a as a lead to to consider where the market had had pricing for for the ECB and that's been lifted a little bit so I mean despite mm. what we just talked about with big falls in front end rates in in the US um, you know short end rates in Europe actually rose you know modestly across the curve just with the market taking that taking that caution on board um, yeah and there has been some some developments for for German consumers I guess in terms of gas overnight as well with news yesterday that there'll be a, a VAT tax cut um, decrease for a period that, that I mean that that will help measured um, a little bit measured CPI inflation to, to, to a limited extent but I mm. think the the key thing there is the is the broader point about the you know, just the, the the fraught situation there between with with, with supply going forward and mm. whether the ECB is, is going to need to act more aggressively to, to get on top of that which obviously doesn't portend well for, for longer run growth if you, you know, it, it's, it's it's an even bigger hit to to real incomes potentially. All right. Well, let's look at somewhere where they don't have quite the same problem. Uh, Australia, uh, you know, which seems to I mean, a, st- a staggering number that I, I read out yesterday about how many people are going out. I don't know how often you're going out for dinner, but uh, by look at the numbers, everyone's going out almost every night uh, at, the, at the moment to try and catch up with uh, their dining out experiences. Uh, but also, you know, employment again, is not going anywhere in Australia either. So the, those numbers yesterday, unemployment has fallen to a 48-year low. Now, OK, it's only gone down 0.1%, but down to 3.4%. I mean, the point is, it's uh, it's it's not going up, is it? Uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, there's a question over over sampling. I know in this to account for that small fall. So, so it, at the best, let's say it's it's staying level, which is not what we want. You know, again, you know that you'd expect that we'd we'd want to see some sort of movement in the uh, in in the employment market. Otherwise, the RBA is is going to be looking at rate rises even more so, aren't they? Yeah, and certainly the market did add a, add a tiny bit to the pricing for, for the RBA's next meeting uh, after those numbers yesterday. I think 
as the numbers mm. hit the screen, certainly a, a little bit of um, you know, a, a little bit of work was needed by by the economists to try and uh, to try and interpret those for the for the broader market. Quite a, a mixed bag of numbers in the sense, that, as you said, the, yes, the unemployment right. rate did drop a little bit, but that came on the back of a you know a, a decent hit, to, you know, sort of uh, you know forty basis points to the. To, to the participation rate and uh, and an overall minus forty k drop to to employment, so um, there was the sample rotation factors that you mentioned. You know, every month, you know, one eighth of the people getting surveyed for the labour force survey rotates, and as it happened this time, the you know, the, the people coming in were less likely to uh, you know, to, to have been participating in the in in the labour force. Um, yeah, and interestingly, you, know, you, you can't often chalk up. Australian labour force stuff to um, you know to, One to, to weather factors, yeah. but um, but but in mm. in this case it would seem you could with sort of wi- widespread flooding across New South Wales in July that seemed to to impact on people yeah. people's ability to work. Um, adding in the the continued um, sort of spread of of, yeah. um, of COVID through winter um, that that seemed to in, in, that that had a big impact on on yeah, absences and, and that's been a theme for the year as well with yeah. absences and underemployment is at six percent, which is about the same as last time, which actually is the lowest since the early nineties as well. So there's just no slag at all, is there, in the jobs market? There's lots of jobs, not enough people. So that really does put the pressure on the RBA. So fifty basis points is that what's priced in now for September? How how are the markets? You saying there wasn't a huge amount of response to no, this. No, it's market. still sitting around just under 40 basis points now is what I'm seeing. It was it was probably yeah, 39 okay. before. So I mean mm. NAB is of the view that um you know the, that that print yesterday didn't shouldn't really change the picture that the RBA should still be going 50. Um your know, market's still not quite um quite as fully convinced mm. of that, but but that's where we're sitting that 50 points is still going to be the the move that, that that's going to come in in, in September. Now, I tell you it would be a very different kettle of fish if President Erdogan is successful. He's been meeting with uh, Zelensky to try and broker a peace deal with Russia. He's been and met Putin as well. Imagine, just imagine. Uh, what what state the imagine if two things happened if if they did broker a deal everyone was happy with which it does seem a bit unlikely and then China all started getting jabs that worked and uh, everyone everyone started going back to work without any lockdowns uh, I wonder how long it would take to settle things down but uh, you can imagine the enthusiasm that would be in the markets if all of that happened but anyway we'll see uh, meanwhile uh, Turkey's just dropped their interest rates that let's see how that works out inflation up around eighty percent they've just dropped their interest rates uh, so today uh, we get the New Zealand trade balance the UK consumer confidence read. Uh, we get Japan CPI, and I guess the two main data points will be uh, retail sales for the UK and for Canada. So, you know, so we can see how they're holding up. Yeah, exactly. The resilience of the consumer is the is, is the thing that's of great yeah. interest to in, in nearly all economies globally. Yeah, the the big trend, obviously, as, as rate hikes have been pushing through the system, or, or news of rate hikes for the, for the most part has been big collapses in consumer confidence. But for the most part, in Nearly every major economy, there hasn't been a, you know, a corresponding um, sort of reaction to actual consumer spending yet. I mean, in fact, in the US, you've, um, I mean, in the US, maybe you're starting to see you know, increases in credit card, um, in credit card debt to, ma- to maybe support that spending. I guess it's a different issue, but that'll be the that'll be the key thing tonight to to watch out of um, Canada and the UK to see whether um, yeah, to sort of see how rate hikes are actually biting. I mean, you know, the Canada obviously being yeah. much more assertive in rate hikes to date than. In the UK, um, with a more robust economic backdrop to support that, obviously. Right, so, but the, ba- but the, the, the Bank of England putting in hundred point hikes. So, yeah, exactly. Whereas the Bank of England has been going softer because they believe that you know they're more of a basket case. But and yet, every single bit of data we seem to be seeing is showing resilience. So maybe this will be the uh, the last stand. If this comes out strong, maybe they're going to be saying, "Well, actually, uh, yeah, maybe we do need to do more faster." 
Quite possibly, and certainly the you know the, the market has massively pro- massively moved um, BOE pricing in the past week or so post the strong UK CPI. Mm. Um, you know, you've got um, the pricing for the peak cash rate in England is actually now roughly on par with that three and a half, three point seven five percent peak level that you've got across nearly everyone else. Yeah. Um, the, the key exceptions being New Zealand, which is a bit higher, and um, ECB, which is a lot lower. But given the slow start and the cautious outlook for the BOE, the, the market has shifted them into the into the same basket as the rest of the other central banks now, which, which has been inter- interesting to see. Well, we'll uh, watch uh, go with, with a keen eye and see uh, what those numbers bring us today. Uh, great to talk, Cam. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And I've just uh, caught the, uh, the headline on uh, Bloomberg Online saying that if Russia was to cut gas supplies to, uh, to Europe, then Germany would run out of gas within three months. So maybe that's his negotiating power. He's trying to turn the thumb screws while trying to offer peace at the same time. That sort of kind of makes sense, wouldn't it? That's it for the morning call for this week. I'm Phil Dobby, back again on Monday. See you then.